there was plenty to celebrate with the Chiefs' victory over the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. Andy Reid became the first coach in NFL history with 100 career victories for two different franchises, and those teams opposed each other on Sunday. Patrick Mahomes was at his best with five touchdown passes, three to Tyreek Hill, and the Chiefs got off the mat, snapping a two-game losing streak. But that defense, problematic once again. Against an Eagles team that I don't think is going far this season, the Chiefs surrendered 461 yards and 30 points. This is the second straight week an offense has increased its pace against the Chiefs, and we'll continue to see that until the Chiefs stop it. We talked all about it with columnists Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian, plus beat writers Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell after the game on Sportsbeat Live. It's now presented as a Sportsbeat KC podcast on Monday, October 4th. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Let's get going with the show. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Sportsbeat Live, uh, Chiefs post-game edition. We are here to talk about the 42-30 to 30 victory over the Philadelphia Eagles at the link today. And uh, Herbie is here, Herbie Teope, and Sam Mellinger is here. Hoping to be joined by Vahe Gregorian soon. We, we got plenty to discuss on this post-game show. It was uh, a wild game. I, as I, the last thing I wrote for the star is this was the fourth game in NFL history without a punt that's in the regular season. There have been five overall, and the Chiefs have been involved in two of them, including uh, today's. They were involved in a playoff game without a punt. Low those many years ago. So we're going to break it down. We're going to talk a little offense, a little defense. Kirby, let's start with the offensive side of the ball because so much happened in a good way for the Chiefs from the first to the last possession and darn near every possession in between. Well, hey, on offense, everything you wanted to be good was good. Uh, You know, passing, Patrick Mahomes with five touchdowns, three of them going to Tyreek Hill, uh, two underhanded throws, one to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the other one going to, you know, if you want to score a touchdown every time you're in the red zone, you just find yourself number 88, Mr. Jody Fortson. But, (laughs) hey, they also ran the ball really, really well. 200 yards rushing, Edwards-Alaire with his second straight 100-yard rushing effort. If my math is correct, that's 386 yards total yards rushing over the past two games. You wanted an offensive show, you got one today. And, you know, conversely on defense, the Eagles were able to also put up a lot of yardage, but that's a a subject for a different time here during the show. But you're right, Blair. Offense looks sharp. Would would you make the offensive line? If you're running the ball well, you're obviously blocking up front. And Edward Jolaire also mentioned that during his post-game press conference, you know, when he said that they made a concerted effort with the offensive line group in their meetings to try to establish that run, and it, it translated well to the field. Sam, I read your instant reaction, and, and I really agree with it. The Chiefs just look fantastic on that side of the ball. Five touchdown passes for Mahomes matches the second most he's ever had in a game. Three to Tyreek Hill can take away Kelsey or Hill, but you can't take away both of them. And they took away Kelsey today. So just what were your overall, let's stick on the offensive side because I think the, the bulk of our conversation will go to the other side of the ball here in a minute. But what'd you think about the offense? I thought they were really, really good. I mean, they, it, it was six touchdowns on seven possessions, right? The one exception, I mean, not counting the kneel down at the end, right? The, the one exception was another, you know, third game in a row that Patrick Mahomes is forced a third down pass that turned into an interception. I don't know what level of concern you want to have for the best player on the planet, but choose your own adventure there. 
I agree with Herbie on the offensive line, but I would specifically say the three middle guys, um, you know, guard center guard were terrific in the run game. My goodness. They, they were, there were times they were pushing the, the line of scrimmage back, you know, a full yard, two yards, three yards, especially in short yardage. And I just, I hope people notice that in, in those short yards. I mean, how many times in the last three, four, five years or whatever, we, you know, sort of groaned about the chief's inability to do that, to just get the boring third and short conversion. And, and they could do that now. Lucas Niang, I thought, stood out in the wrong way in pass protection. But I just saw uh, Terrence Warnell Robinson, who's fantastic, by the way. And I, I love that he watches every sh- Like, he, he's the best. I thought he made a smart point there. And he said, like, he, he did get better in the second half. I do agree with Terrence on that one. I thought Niang was pretty terrible early and then a little bit better late. So uh, the offensive line, I mean, you can still... You know, I guess it's the same deal, right? Like you can see they're talented, you know, you can see the flashes and you can see when it works, but you can also see that they're still kind of working together as, as a unit collectively. To Melly's point, I'm glad he brought that up, the interior, because coming into this game, Fletcher Cox is a handful. You know, he, we're talking about a six-time pro bowler there, a one-time first-team all-pro, and we hardly heard his name in the press box whatsoever over the PA system. And that tells you what Sam there pointed out, the Creed Humphrey and the two guards there, Joe Tooney, as well as rookie Trey Smith were doing their job containing Fletcher Cox, which is huge. Hey, so a couple things about the offensive line I want to get your take on. Two of the first three Chiefs touchdowns from inside the five were the cute plays that we saw last year that we didn't think would have to happen as often this year, underhand or pitch throws, one to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the other to Jody Fortson. But uh, later, they did power into the end zone, Daryl Williams from the one or the two, I can't remember how, how close it was, and just kind of lined up, manned up, and pulled into the end zone. Sam, what did Patrick Mahomes say about uh, either of those underhand shovel pass touchdowns after the game? I can't remember if this came from Mahomes or not, but for, there's two things that they said post game. One was uh, the one where Edwards Hilaire scored was called Tom and Jerry, which I thought was interesting. And I, I get those guys confused, even though my kids watch that show. But uh, Clyde is obviously the, the mouse in that one. Is, is is Jerry the mouse? Yeah, I think Jerry's the uh, mouse. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Clyde was Jerry on that one. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting, I think Patrick said this, but it doesn't matter, is that uh, the first one, that was Kelsey's play design. You know, he, he's the one that made up that play. You know, and Patrick pointed this out. It's kind of cool that he made himself the decoy. You know, like he's the one designing a play and like, hey, I'll be the decoy so somebody else can get a touchdown. And, and we've seen the other side of this, right? Like we've seen Chiefs teams where guys are making personal business decisions and looking out for their own, you know? And I do buy into the idea that this group is not like that, uh, especially at the top of the roster. I think that kind of thing matters a lot. All right, look, we should establish, Herbie mentioned the running game and, and the numbers that they put up. It was 200 yards rushing, 201 for the Chiefs the most since they rushed for 245 at Buffalo last year. But the Eagles don't stop the run well. We saw that last Monday night against the Cowboys. So for two weeks in a row, I think the Chiefs were able to take advantage of a team that doesn't stop the run well. It didn't pay off in the Chargers game. It did today for the Eagles. I like that they were able to extend the lead late by keeping the ball on the ground and running clock and just running their offense in a way that you'd want to see a team protect a lead and even even build on it. Hey, Sam McDowell, didn't expect to see you here. And it's, it is great to see you, buddy. So this is a good time to transition to the other side of the ball and where a lot of our comments are coming from. My gosh. So the, the game is unfolding. It's 28 to 23. It's still a, like a one possession game. Chiefs have the ball, right? Because they scored just about every time they, they did have the ball. But I'm thinking even in a game in which they have an offensive game plan that's 
superb and Patrick Mahomes, with the exception of the interception, is playing great. And they have figured out a way to beat the two deep safeties and go underneath and move the ball that way. They have to score all the time to win a game. That's where this defense is right now. They have given up in four games 125 points. Easy to do the math on that. In a 16-game season, that's 500 points. And this year they play 17, so 530-ish points on, on a pace to surrender that much. Man, they still have all these problems on the defensive side. It is now a victory worth celebrating when they surrender a field goal. That is a stop for the defense. And they got three stops today with three field goals kicked. And I thought the Eagles made a bonehead decision on their first possession when they got down to the, what was it, the three, and the play clock ran out on Nick Sirianni, and they had to take a timeout, and they had the offense back on the field, but then they took them off to bring the field goal kicker on. I'm thinking, what are you doing? You can't do this. You've got to take a lesson from last week what the Chargers did and score a touchdown here. They got the field goal and victory for the Chiefs, but Melly, is that how we're going to have to look at this now? Just, you know, when you hold a team to a field goal, you've done a great job. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the standard that they set for themselves, right? Like, I, I something changed in me today. I got to be honest with you guys. Like, I thought that there was a chance that we were going to see 38 to 6 or something like that today. I, I thought that this may have been a blowout. I, I, I bought into all the, you know, back against the wall, and this will be, you know, they had every reason to put up their best performance against an inferior opponent. And they didn't do that. And I'm not blaming the like the offense. They good. That's fine. But, you know, to have just a continuation of self-inflicted, you know, just no communication, substitutions that are clearly disorganized, guys lined up in the wrong spot, obviously in the wrong spot, because there's nobody on one defensive end spot, you know. And Blair, you mentioned the, the Sirianni thing where, you, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to kick the field goal there, save your time out, you know, just right. kick a 29-yarder instead of a 24 or whatever. But also... Maybe a play or two before that, there was a receiver wide open in the end zone and, and Hurts just overthrew it. And so that should have been seven instead of three, What you know, before the fourth down. And was that also the possession of the fumble that Neiman made a hell of a play or was that later on? We're getting to that. Yeah. They're, even the coaching staff doesn't have the back of the defense. They, yeah. But they didn't challenge the fumble. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they just... These things, they, it's the same stuff every week. I mean, the, the, the lack of a challenge is new, right? But the missed tackles and it's the miscommunication. And I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me that you have a third-year defensive coordinator with veteran leaders at, at every level. You know, Chris Jones, Anthony Hitchens, Tyron Matthew, Daniel Swanson. There's just there's not a reason that these guys should be this disorganized, but they are week after week. I thought this was going to be the first step. You know, okay, they're starting to fix this thing. It just it didn't happen today. The Bills might score fifth next week if, if that kind of thing keeps going. I turned to Sam at one point to the game and, and just said, this shocks me. It's because it's the same thing that's beating the team all four weeks, most particularly the miscommunications pre-snap. There was a play where Alex Okafor and, and Vahe was the first one to notice it, but he's sprinting across the line of scrimmage from defensive end spot to a different defensive end spot. He doesn't even engage with the offensive tackle by the time the pass is thrown. I mean, the play's over by the time he's even getting remotely in the right spot. You asked if we should view this defense differently. Well, I think Patrick Mahomes is telling us he views this defense differently. I think that's one of the reasons that he's thrown some of the interceptions that he's thrown because they've all come on third down plays when he's about to get sacked. And I think he's basically telling us, I can't afford to punt here. It's a better option to, to try and make something happen, even if that percentage is small, because I know what the percentages are if I give the ball back to the opposition. Take your cues from that. This isn't a great Eagles offense. I think Jalen Hurts might end up being a good quarterback, but he's 
QB1 for the first time this year. You know, look, there were some garbage time yards and certainly the final touchdown for the Eagles, but he throws for 387 and two touchdowns, no interceptions. You know, the Eagles end up with 461 yards of total offense. Listen, I get that the the Eagles probably had a a lot of focus and determination after getting somewhat embarrassed on Monday night at Dallas and and wanted to to show that that they're not that team. But my gosh, Sam, I, uh, I, I agree with you. As I'm watching this game unfold in the first half, I'm wondering how long is it going to take for this to shore up? And is it ever going to happen? Because teams are going to play fast against the Chiefs. That's where this confusion is coming from, isn't it? Teams are, running, are playing with pace. The Chargers did it last week. The Eagles did it today. I, I'm used to seeing it in the college game. We see it in the college game all the time. But the Chiefs don't have an answer for pace. Listen, there's some individuals that are not playing well. Jaron Reed's pretty high on that list. The middle, the interior part of the defense, not playing great right now. But I don't know who is playing well defensively. I thought Legereus Sneed, you know, had a really nice play on the on the on the blitz at the end of the first half to force the fumble that Chris Jones decided to fall on. And Mike Dana had a couple of sacks today, so that was good. But what am I missing in terms of Chiefs defensive progress? Before we answer that, let's welcome in Vahe. What's up, Vahe? Good to see you. Hi, Blair. Hi, you guys, as we say back here in Philly. That's right. Uh, hey, uh, good to be on. Um, hey, just to, to your point right now, Blair, it does seem like there's a whole diagnostics test to be run on this defense that it's from every phase of the game seems off kilter, off balance, as you were just speaking to. And I think, I don't know, I think Sam Mellinger might have been speaking to this earlier. The confusion is just way too rampant at this point. And one of the things we were talking about down in the hallway after the game was kind of this idea that, you know, the other time it looked this disjointed was in Spagnola's first year when it was understandable because it's a first year coordinator with, you know, seven new starters in a new scheme. I really don't understand it. I mean, they, they certainly look slow. They look like they're not on the same page. Really, it, it feels like it's hard to see where the progress is going to come. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. You know, Blair, one point that, that's related to what you said, usually you see offenses allow the defense to get in position because they want the most information possible before the snap. We're seeing the inverse happen with against the Chiefs. 
they line up and snap it as quickly as possible because they don't want you to have the information. And I don't know whether that's a new trend that we're going to see in the NFL or whether it's something that is particularly wrong with the way the Chiefs are able to react. The teams are just going to exploit that against the Chiefs. Well, and they're, and they're getting to the ball quickly. They're getting lined up quickly, and they have a play called quickly. Somebody mentioned here that the Chiefs, meanwhile, are looking over to the sideline trying to get some instruction. Meanwhile, the ball gets snapped. Chiefs are out of position, acting reactively, just failing, basically. Can I make a quick point about that? Please. I thought there was an interesting moment or two, and this goes back to the Chargers game, but I'm guessing it's a similar deal today. But when we asked Spagnolo and Anthony Hitchens about that exact thing, about the tempo and being slow to get the plays in, I just thought it was interesting. Spags talked about, that's my fault. The, the call came in late and it was too complicated after it came in late. I should have given a, a more simple call in earlier. And then Hitchens also said, that's my fault because once the call doesn't come in, I need to make a call and get us into something just so that we're in something. And so I, I get like everybody's trying to figure out, is it, is it players or coaches? But I think it's both. <laughs> when it's this messed up, I, I just think it's both. It's not one or the other, but the most frustrating thing is this is year three. And these are guys that, these are adults. These are grown men that know the system and they should be further along. I'd love to see what happens once they're finally fully healthy. You know, Frank Clark has now missed three of the first four games. Javarius Ward has missed the past two games. They're not fully stacked at the linebacker position because Willie Gay has been out for these three weeks. And they're going to need Willie Gay back sooner than later because Ben Neiman now is dealing with a concussion. So, you know, how long is it going to take for him to return? I just want to see this defense fully healthy because, you know, they haven't had all the pieces that they wanted throughout the season. But my goodness, they look horrible with what they have right now. They got to get all the starting pieces in there. How about Chris Jones? I, I, didn't, I haven't seen the final stat line. I know he didn't have a sack or I couldn't tell you how many pressures he had. But is it time to get him back into the middle on a fairly regular basis, especially if Frank Clark comes back like Dan is playing like he is, which I think is pretty well, to be honest with you. Is it time to, to end the Chris Jones on the outside thought? I'll just say he had no tackles and one quarterback hurry today. So do with that as you will. I think the problem is no matter where you put Chris Jones, you're putting a hole as where you leave him. If you move him off of defensive end, I still don't know who plays there. I mean, I mean, Mike Dana had a good day today. Potentially when Frank Clark comes back, I do think you'll see more of Chris Jones in the middle. I don't think it's going to be just completely a shift back to where we saw him last year, the previous couple of years. But, you know, clearly when he's on the defensive tackle spot, they can't pressure enough from up the middle. They don't have a defensive tackle this year with the sack. I think they've got to get more production some way, somehow up the middle. If that means moving Chris Jones back and already admitting a month into this experiment, maybe it wasn't the right way to go, then, then that's got to be it. But that should be longer than a month because don't forget, they started preparing for this move after the Jaron Reed signing. So throughout OTAs and uh, mandatory minicamp, all those, especially on defense, were designed with Chris Jones on the outside along with Frank Clark on the outside. So it's kind of like what Sam just said there. You know, sooner or later, if it doesn't work, you got to admit it didn't work. But whether they do this sooner than later, we'll, we'll see. I thought the tackling was bad as well. Guys not wrapping and not bringing, not bringing down. The Eagles have a couple of really nice tight ends, right? Uh, they're hard to bring down. And I don't know if that's a stat that the Chiefs keep. I'm sure they do miss tackles. But I saw too much of that today, too. The linebackers, I, I keep waiting for, for Nick Bolton to, to make more plays. I saw more Juan Thornhill today than I, I remember seeing in previous games. I imagine the snap counts will reflect that, not making it a difference, at least you know based on the TV view of the game. I don't know if it looked any different seeing it live, but I, I didn't see where he played more but didn't make that big a difference. Cornerback play, I, besides Legereus Sneed, strikes me as something that needs to improve as well. And 
You said it earlier, Melly. Buffalo's coming to town next Sunday, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Chiefs will probably be favored, and I'm not sure I would pick the Chiefs in a, in a game against Buffalo right now. You just talked about the corners at the end there, and uh, Devontae Smith just worked Mike Hughes throughout this game, beat him like a drum. He's a really good player, obviously won the Heisman, but it makes you wonder if, if Bills can get Steph Diggs uh, on Mike Hughes. We might, we might be seeing a whole, whole lot of that uh, next week as well. For sure. The post-game mood for the Chiefs was was happiness, right? They won. They won. They ended a two-game losing streak. I understand there was a celebration in the locker room that I'm sure we'll see on some Chiefs outlet at some point in the next few days. But by there was a reason to feel good, especially uh, for Andy Reid. Then going back to Philadelphia in a week in which there was a health scare for him last Sunday and Monday, he goes and gets a milestone victory today. And I'm sure that had to be your column. Yeah, and the only downside was I, I couldn't get him to cry. I was trying to work him high and inside, low and away. He's the one who cut it off at the pass because he'll show a little glimpse here and there of some emotion. But it's funny. He's very funny, but he's also somewhat stoic, right? He, he doesn't really ever want to let you in. We saw that again all week, the way they dealt with the illness. And yet, you know, I think by saying it the way he said it, I think he acknowledged that it, that it mattered. And everybody else was actually more interesting about it. Tyreek had his moment dropping the <laughs> dropping an F-bomb or two in again uh, to punctuation mark on it. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a, a couple good observations about the sorts of things that make players want to play for Andy. Use the term people were setting him on fire that Andy, you know, stilled the waters with him and said, dude, you're okay. Just keep going. And then Patrick really summed it up very well. And he, he really spoke to the essence of the day by making the point that no offense, Philly, uh, but we're, we're glad you fired him. He also spoke well to the point that the reshaping of Andy's legacy now is that more and more going to be cemented as the guy who coached the Chiefs, not the guy who coached the Eagles. Sam Mellinger and I were kicking that around earlier, and, and I think you can you can see that's what the future is, right? And, and it won't be just because it's the second team he coached. It's because of the way it's gone there and kind of the, the next tier of credibility that he has because of his time with the Chiefs. Yeah, it was 14 years with the Eagles, and this is his ninth year, right, with the Chiefs. 140 wins, including playoffs in Philadelphia, 100 wins in Kansas City. I suspect if he stays for 14 seasons in Kansas City, his winning percentage in Kansas City is greater than it was in Philly, and he's got a better quarterback in Kansas City than he ever had in Philadelphia, and he had a couple of good ones, including one that uh, took him to the Super Bowls. Let's wrap it up. We will have talked to players and coaches this week. And I'm really curious to hear what Steve Spagnuolo will have to say to the media on Thursday and what defensive players are saying. But they did get a win today, 42 to 30, back on the winning on the winning side of things. Big, big game, Sunday night football with the Buffalo Bills coming to Arrowhead Stadium. Should be incredible atmosphere there. For Fahe, Sam McDowell, Sam Melliger, Herbie Teope, and our producer, Beth Welsh. And for all you guys, thanks for uh, all your comments, questions, you keep the show going and please join us Friday, 9.30 a.m. where we'll talk uh, Chiefs and preview the Bills game. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. And thanks to the Chiefs guys, Herbie Teope, Sam McDowell, and of course columnists Vahe Gregorian and Sam Mellinger for talking Chiefs. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, you know about the morning sports edition, right? Well, if you don't, let me tell you about it. On KansasCity.com, go to the Stars E-Edition. You know, that's a replica of the printed newspaper on your screen that comes with your digital subscription. Well, now there's an updated sports section produced separately that goes along with it. When you open the E-Edition, there's a box in the upper right-hand corner that says, 
all editions. Click on that and you can access about, I don't know, 15 to 30 pages of sports. Maybe you get a link in your email. That's how I get it. And it's there by 6.30 every morning. So either way, it's access to complete coverage of the previous day's sports news features and statistics, everything. It's fantastic. Just tomorrow, you get all the Chiefs coverage, the Royals' final regular season game. There was some college news made on Sunday with Missouri firing an assistant coach. All of that will be in the morning sports edition. Okay, end of the commercial. Thanks for reading The Star and listening to our podcast lineup. You're helping support the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City. And we couldn't produce programs like Sports Beat KC without you. So we'll be back on Tuesday with another episode.